The Posting Up podcast is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Are you looking to learn a thing or two about getting your finances in order, saving, and investing? Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post Brand Studio. Coming soon to wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post. Coming from Washington, D.C. for a change. I'm here for a few days, had some meetings, had uh, Wizards Clippers on Friday night. Uh, this is being recorded Sunday afternoon before Wizards Cavs, which is the main reason I came here, which should be a really interesting game. Uh, but wanted to get through uh, a bunch of mailbag questions. People were kind enough to submit them via Twitter. I'm my handle, Tim Bontemps, at Tim Bontemps, I should say. Uh Always feel free to ask questions there. I generally am pretty good at responding to people, but wanted to try to run through a bunch and uh, you know get get out a podcast for Monday morning as people are making their commutes at the start of uh, the final week for Christmas. So let's jump right into it. Are the Timberwol- the Timberwolves mortgage their future and made win now moves to end a thirteen year playoff drought? Yet they still have some of the worst attendance in the league. How much should gate matter in calling win now moves a mistake? Well, I don't really know if the Timberwolves mortgage their future. Uh, they still have Andrew Wiggins and Carl Towns. Uh, they traded for Jimmy Butler, who's not exactly a, a bum. Uh, but I, I don't think that gate really should matter at all. Uh, you, the goal is to win games. If you win games, people are going to come watch your games. I, I don't think that's any different. Um, you know, Generally, a situation like this, a team sees a real bump in uh, attendance the second year, whether it's or a drop in attendance, whether a team is good and then stinks or stinks and then is good. Uh, so I, I expect that, that Minnesota is going to start seeing more fans show up at their games as the the Wolves show they're a really good team, but I, I, uh, I, if you're judging, if you're judging moves based on how your team is performing financially or what's going on from that aspect, and not from is this the right move for my team long term, you're going to end up making a lot of mistakes. That goes for trade, not trading guys who you should. That goes for, um, that goes for making moves for a financial reason as opposed to a basketball reason. You should always be making any kind of decision based off is this the best move for my team to win games uh, or win games either now or in the future. Uh, if you're not doing that, you're making a mistake. Who should the Kings draft? There's trending. They are, they are trending toward a Laker-like half a decade in a row with a lottery pick in the playoffs as far away as they've been since 2007. Also curious if you think Zebo and Vince Carter have made a long-lasting impact on the young core. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, those guys are, are decent veterans to have around, but I mean, they're there for a year, or maybe two, and at most, and moving on. Uh, I would say it's, I would say compare saying the Kings are having a Laker like half a decade in a row with a lottery pick is amusing given the Kings have had a decade uh, in a row of lottery picks and they definitely are as far away from the playoffs as they've been, uh, that entire time. Uh, I think the Kings should just draft the best player they can get. Uh, I like the Aaron Fox. Uh, they have some other interesting young pieces, but they need to just get the best player they can get, whether that's Luka Doncic, whether that's Marvin Bagley, whether that's DeAndre Ayton, uh, whoever it is, they, they need to just draft the best talent and not worry about fit or position. They don't have any good enough players to worry about uh, what position they should draft for. And frankly, again, if you're drafting for uh, a position at any point, you're going to put yourself in trouble because uh, you need to just get the best players and figure it out from there. Who winds up with DeAndre Jordan? This is one of the more interesting subplots of the season at this point for me. Uh, I saw the Clippers Friday. They are dreadful. 
Uh, DeAndre, you know, still a very effective player, though he's going to be a free agent this summer. He's going to cost a ton of money unless he's willing to opt in to get traded somewhere, which I doubt. Um, just signed with Jeff Sh- Jeff Schwartz, one of the top agents in the league, works for Excel. Um, I-, I imagine that that they're going to try to get him a lot of money this summer, and, and he'll probably be able to get it somewhere. Uh, to me, the team I've wanted him to end up with for a while are the Toronto Raptors. I think that would be a fascinating fit. Uh, th- that could real, you know, if it's like Jonas Valanciunas and a couple young guys and a pick or something, um, that that would give the, the 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 Raptors, in my opinion, a real chance to make some noise in the East. Uh, he would really you know, shore up their defense a lot. He'd give them a very different option than what Valanciunas, Jonas Valanciunas gives them, which isn't you know, necessarily effective with the guys they have. I, I mean, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry to pick and rolls with uh, with DeAndre Jordan would be pretty fun. And I think that would maybe make the Raptors the second-best team in the East and, and maybe even give them a chance to challenge at the top. I, I think it would really be a game-changing move. So I, I think – I know those teams have talked. I think that makes sense. But, you know, we'll see what the Clippers are motivated to do and what happens here. But – my guess is that between now and the, the trade deadline on February 8th, DeAndre Jordan's going somewhere. And if he ends up with the Clippers, I think that would make a lot – or with the Raptors, excuse me. I think that would make a lot of sense. Speaking of the Clippers, what are your thoughts on the early play of Milos Teodosic and how his future with the Clippers might play out? I mean, Milos is kind of exactly – I mean, he's been banged up for most of the year so far, but he's exactly what we expect him to be, a, a brilliant passer, a terrific um, – Terrific offensive player from that standpoint. One of the best passers in the world. A good shooter. Uh, plays no defense and doesn't really attempt to. So uh, to me, he's a you know he's a he's a good backup point guard. Maybe a starter on a decent team. Uh, but I, I think you know he probably I think he wants to be in LA. So I'd be surprised if he he just sticks with his contract now and stays there. But I mean he'll have some options if he wants to go somewhere else because you know he's a guy that if you have him come in and pick and rolls and hit people, he could really generate a lot of offense for you. What assets do the Wizards have to give up in a trade, and what possible trades can they make to bolster their bench? Um, I don't really know. I mean, the Wizards obviously have their first-round pick. They've traded Markeith Morris in the past, or traded for Markeith Morris and Marcin Gortat using their first-round pick. If they could make a similar kind of deal, I think they probably would again. Um, you know, people are going to look at trades for guys like DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, the Pelicans, I think, have been too good to really make that an option. And I, I don't know if the Wizards are going to be able to make a big swing like that because they'd probably have to include Otto Porter, who could veto any trade, uh, at least until July. So um, I, I don't think such a move like that is a, is an uh, there's an obvious one out there. But if you told me that the, the, the Wizards make a move to bolster their bench between now and February 8th, I, I could definitely see that because I, I think – I think it's possible, and if they do, you know, that first-round pick is probably the, the most likely way they do it. Would you break up Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum to balance out Portland's roster? If so, what makes sense? In theory, yes. I, I think that the, the combination of Lillard and McCollum is hard to win with because you're not going to have a ton of defense there. Um, however, if you're going to do that, you have to get really good players back. I mean, part of the thing about the NBA, I was talking about this with some people the other day, if you don't have one of the five best players in the league, it's just very hard to win at a huge level, right? So if you don't have one of those guys, you have to kind of decide, what are we going to do? Are we going to try to completely blow up our team to go in another direction? Or are we going to stick with what we've got and ride it out and see if we get lucky? Um, and I, I think Portland would probably do the latter. I mean, moving on from Lillard and McCollum, you know, you've got to either decide you're blowing it up or you've got to decide to go in a very different direction. And that's hard to do because they have a pretty good team. Those guys are friends. They, they play well together. Uh, Terry Stotts is a terrific coach who uses them really well. Um, so so I, don't, I don't I wouldn't expect them to blow that up anytime soon. Uh, but if they do, I mean, to me, you're, you're trading one of those guys to get an elite wing, you know, or an elite big uh, if you don't believe in Nurkic. You know, maybe you'd you know, a guy like a Paul George, for example, they're not trading for Paul George, so he'll be a free agent. But like that kind of a, a wing player, 
Um, I, I think would maybe, you know, be an intriguing piece to go, you know, with Dame or CJ. You then have a true wing and, and then you have a point guard and then you get a big and then you then you're maybe cooking. Um, but I, I don't see a trade like that happening. And I think they're going to be that way for a while. Uh, if Portland continues, this is ironic since they're coming after that, but if Portland has a better, continues to have a better record than Oklahoma City, could you see Dame Willard and TJ McCollum making the All-Star team ahead of Russell Westbrook? Yes, I could, actually. I I was going through this the other day with one of my editors, and I, I don't think it's a lock that, that Westbrook makes the All-Star team. I, I think he will make the All-Star team, um, but, I, but I don't think it's a guarantee. I mean, when you look at the West, you've got probably the four guys at Golden State make it, uh, Chris Paul and, and uh, James Harden make it, Marcus Aldridge makes it, uh, you know, probably one of the one of the Wolves guys, maybe two make it, but probably just Jimmy Butler, I would think. Uh, you know, you've got Lillard and McCollum are going to be in the mix in Portland. You've got uh, Nikola Jokic who's going to be in the mix in Denver. You've got uh, Demarcus Cousins and and Anthony Davis who are going to be in the mix in New Orleans. So there, there's a lot there's a lot of guys that 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 are in the mix. You know, and that's before you get to guys like Paul George and Russell Westbrook. So if I had to guess, I, I think that that both Westbrook and George wind up making the All Star team because they are stars and they have been very good this year. Uh, even if not necessarily in Westbrook's case at the same level he's been in the past. Uh, but I, but I, I do think it's more of a question than people might think that they, they may, they may not actually, you know, he may not actually get there. Should Sam Presti get fired? No, and neither should Billy Donovan. Uh, people need to just take a deep breath and relax about the Thunder. Yes, they're fourteen and fifteen. Yes, their season hasn't gone the way that they would hope so far. Uh, however, they are in the playoffs. Even after everything that's happened, they are two games out of fourth place in the West. Uh, as I've said other times, the Thunder really remind me of the 2013-14 Brooklyn Nets that I covered for the New York Post, a team that really kind of floated along for a while and struggled and couldn't figure out um, the, the right way to, to play. Then some things happened, they kind of found something, and then they took off. And I'll be very surprised if this Thunder team doesn't have a similar run at some point this season where things kind of click and they take off and they have a really good stretch because they have a lot of talent and they're not... To me, they're not that far away. Um, you watch them play, and, and you can see like stuff should be working better than it is. And I, I think they're going to figure it out, and I think they're going to be fine. Maybe I'll end up looking silly about that, but I, I truly think that at the end of the day, they're going to be fine. If you guess, will Paul George be traded by the deadline, and what kind of Paul George rental would even look like at this? What kind of a potential Paul George rental trade uh, would even look like at this point? I don't, I don't see a Paul George trade happening. Uh, at any point this season, I think unless there are crazy injuries or something happens to the Thunder where they clearly aren't going to make the playoffs or they're clearly not going to be able to keep Paul unless Paul goes to them and says, I ain't staying here. Uh, maybe then Sam Presti would look to trade him. But to me, if you're the Thunder, the, the highs they've had, including, you know, for instance, blowing out the Warriors at home a few weeks ago at a game I was at. I, I think when you look at situations like that, you have to say, hey, our best bet is to hope that we make this work. We get in the playoffs, we win a couple rounds, we get to the conference finals, and then Paul decides he wants to stay. I think that is the the best long-term scenario for them. I don't think you can get uh, nearly enough in a trade uh, to make it worth your while to trade him. Now, could you, if you could get, you know, the Brooklyn Nets pick and something from the from the Cleveland Cavaliers for uh, for Paul George, maybe you do something like that. Um, especially now that Russell Westbrook's locked into that long-term extension, you don't have to worry about trading him. But I, I just. I are losing him in free agency, but I just can't see uh, Paul George, um, you know, saying to the Thunder he wants to leave. I, I think he's going to give them an open mind about potentially staying. I know he likes it there, 
Um, and, and again, I, I think their ceiling has been high enough and they've shown it that they could have a really good run here and you know, win a lot of games and, and, you know, potentially make a conference finals. I think the risk of, you know, I think the, the chance of doing that and convincing him to stay is greater than whatever you're going to get most likely in a trade package. Is Jason Kidd in any danger to be fired this season? I wouldn't say it's out of the realm of possibility. I, I think it's more likely than not that he makes it through the year, but the Bucks have lost three in a row. They've dropped to uh, eighth place in the, in the East. They're only a half game ahead of the heat and a game ahead of the Sixers. But um, my guess is that at the end of the day, he sticks around at least through the end of the season. They've had some, they've had some injuries. They've been up and down. Uh, but Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, is a big fan of Jason Kidd. And in general, if you have a star player that's a fan of the coach, that gives them a lot more leash than, than some people might think. Are the Charlotte Hornets pri- problems primarily injury-related, and is it time to reset with a new GM and a new coach? I mean, they have the, the Hornets have had a lot of injuries. Cody Zeller's been in and out of the lineup. Nicola Batum has been in and out of the lineup. Kemba Walker's dealt with some shoulder stuff. Um, you know, they, but at the same time, they're also a team that, you know, came into this season really trying to make a push and make the playoffs. And they're up right near the luxury tax. And they're now two and eight in their last 10. They're 10 and 19 overall. Uh, they've got the third worst record in the Eastern Conference. They've got, you know, what the, the I think the seventh or eighth worst record in the NBA. Um, really hasn't been the season anybody there anticipated. Um, I, I would, I would suspect, I would suspect there's a real chance they move on from everybody at the end of the season. You know, like I said, when a team is that expensive and makes that kind of a swing, if you can't have success on the court, you're going to run into trouble. And uh, I think that could be the case there. You know, Steve Clifford out with some health issues too. I mean, there's just a lot going on there. It's been an unfortunate run. Um, You know, and I I think, you know, I, I, one guy that that didn't come up in this, this mailbag that I think should be looked at is I think you got to start wondering if there's a Kemba Walker trade at some point this season, because, um, you, you look at the situation that the that the, the the Hornets are in and the lack of real options they have going forward with Kemba Walker one year away from free agency. To me, it's going to be hard to convince him to stay there. So if, if this doesn't get better, that's a name that I expect to start hearing a lot more of on the trade block is that Walker you know, potentially could be going somewhere else. In your opinion, who are the top buyout candidates? It's too early for that kind of talk. Um you know, it, it's it, it's still it's still you know a couple months from the trade deadline. It's unclear, uh, you know, who's going to get moved or when. You know, I think two guys though to look at uh, in this kind of situation are Marco Bellinelli and Ursan Ilyasova. Those guys are playing for the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks are going to be out of the mix uh, in terms of the playoff picture, and I, I could see that. Um, I, I could see that they just go. You know what? We can't. We couldn't trade you at the deadline. Let's let you guys go somewhere else and. Try to try to latch on with a contending team. Um, I could definitely see that happening. Uh, you know, Bell and Ellie. You know, both those guys would be interesting. You know, for teams like Houston in particular. Um, you know, a team that can maybe use an extra guy or two. Uh, and it's all about shooting. You know, I think they make sense. San Antonio would make sense maybe for those guys. There's some other teams. That, you know, Oklahoma City is a team that desperately needs uh, some bench guys. I mean, if if any guys like like if Ilya so ironically Ilya Silva was there last year for a minute, but if like those two guys get bought out. Um, I think Oklahoma City would do anything in its power to get them on their teams. They could give them huge minutes uh, and really help for them. So those are two guys, but I, it's, it's going to take a couple months to really figure out who's going to be um, truly in the mix for those kinds of things and, uh, and where they might end up going. Should the Knicks move on from Jeff Hornacek? No, I don't think so. He's done a nice job. They're, they've won four in a row. They're tied for sixth, actually tied for fifth, and, or actually tied for fourth in the East. Just looking at the standings now, as of Sunday afternoon, you got Washington, Detroit, Indiana, and New York all tied at 16 and 13. So uh, it's kind of an interesting uh, situation at the moment. But no, I, I don't think uh, I, I don't think anybody should be getting rid of Hornacek. I think he's done a nice job. 
And uh, I think he's a good coach who's finally able to kind of run the team the way he wants, and, and you're seeing some nice results there for the Knicks. What are your thoughts on Knicks GM Scott Perry stating tanking is bad for the Knicks organization? As a Knicks fan, I agree. That was not me. That was the fans saying that. Uh, listen, I, I think this whole tanking discussion has been overblown. Um, I, I think that goes for the draft lottery reform, which I thought was silly and unnecessary. I think it goes for um, for for this talk about whether tanking is good or bad. I don't think anyone is saying that the Knicks should intentionally try to lose their next 50 games. Uh, but in my opinion, because of, frankly, some of the moves the current front office has made, like signing Tim Hardaway Jr., some of the prior moves the front office has made, like signing uh, like signing uh, Joakim Noah and trading, you know, giving Carmelo Anthony no trade clause that limited what you could get back for him, you're stuck in a situation where the Knicks have very few assets around Chris S. Porzingis. Frank Nelikino looks very good. I think he's going to be a really good player as a, as, a, as a point guard to go with Porzingis for a long time. But they still need another piece or two. And the only way you can get that is through the draft. So if it was up to me, I would say the best thing for the Knicks would be to be terrible this year to get a really high draft pick and and try to get a Luka Doncic or a uh, Marvin Bagley or a DeAndre Ayton or somebody to play with those two guys, and then you're really in business for a long time. Um, I don't think the Knicks are going to be bad enough to get to that position unless they get really lucky in the draft lottery. So um, they're probably going to be in a similar spot to where they were last year, and they'll get another you know solid player. Hopefully they can pick another guy like Noah Keenan. They'll be good shape. But, um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of this talk about whether tanking is good or bad or you know, whether a culture of losing is is a problem. I mean, look, is anybody complaining in Philadelphia about what the Sixers have done the last few years? I think the answer to that is no. And I think that really sums up to me why this whole thing has been nothing more than a PR charade. Since it appears both conferences have a top three uh, sorting itself out, do you think any of the four to 10 seeds could make a conference final in an upset? Uh, yeah, I think both. Um, I think in the Eastern Conference, I think that, you know, for a variety of reasons, you know, I could see, you know, any combination of Washington, Detroit, Milwaukee, or Philly getting into the conference finals, uh, even though I don't think Philly will wind up making the playoffs just because I think injuries are going to take a toll on them. Uh, you know, the up the upside of those teams, uh, I think, is enough that, it, especially if they're playing Boston in the second round, um, a team that I'm not sure has another gear to go to, unless Gordon Hayward could somehow come back. Um, I think that they could all potentially get to the conference finals where they would play Cleveland uh, in theory. But um but it's still it's still early to say. But I, I do think those teams all could. And look, out west, could somebody knock off Houston, who I think is going to end up being the one seed? Maybe. I think it's far less likely in the west because I think Golden State and Houston are on another level than every other team in the league, frankly. Um, but I wouldn't rule it out. You never know with injuries and stuff. But, uh, you know, I think out west, the, the path is a lot more limited. And I, I would say probably only Oklahoma City has truly the ceiling to, to be able to accomplish that if, if things break right. Who are the most surprising and disappointing teams in each conference thus far? Um, for me, I would say the most surprising team uh, in the league really has been Boston. I think they've been incredible. I give them all the credit in the world for the way they've played. Uh, their defense has you know, finally begun to regress a little bit. Uh, I think it's something like 19th or 17th in, uh, in, the, in the league in December, you know, which is finally starting to come back down to earth after the unbelievable start they had at that end of the court. And I think that'll see their record start to drop a little bit because of it. Um, but they've been, they've been, to me, the most surprising team in the entire league. If you're going uh, one team from East Conference, I would say uh, we'll start with the most disappointing team first. I, I think my, I think you know Miami has been disappointing to me so far. Um, you know, you look at you, you look at the way the Heat were supposed to bounce back this year uh, after the hot start they had the end, end of last year. They re-signed everybody, uh, even though I kind of disagreed with what they did. If you're going to do that, you have to be good, and they've been you know relatively healthy, other than Hassan Whiteson being in and out, and they just haven't looked that great. So. 
Um, I would say they've been pretty disappointing. I also should add that Indiana and New York both deserve a lot of kudos for the way they've played. You know, the Knicks have had a lot of home games, so that that's a, a little misleading. They have 19 of the 29 games so far at home, and they have 14 and 5 at home. So I think their record will probably even out a bit. But Indiana's look really good. Victor Oladipo's been great. So, um, you know, I think they deserve a lot of credit for the way they've played and the way Nate McMillan has run that team. Out West, uh, the most disappointing team, I think, has to be Oklahoma City. Uh, you know, even though I said before not to get wound up about how they're playing, and I think things will be fine. You know, the fact is they should be better than what they are, and and it's it you know it hasn't been the season anybody there expected. Uh, but in terms of surprises, um, I think Utah has to be the biggest surprise. I thought Utah was going to make the playoffs, and I still think they will. The fact that they're fourteen and sixteen, and Rudy Gobert, their best player, has been in and out of the lineup the entire time. They've they've struggled to to mix in um, to to mix in. Ricky Rubio, who's been up and down, um, you know, when, I mean, when you look, you know, Rudy's, Rudy's only played in 18 of their games. Uh, he's been injured and missed a couple of them. They beat the Celtics the other night without Rudy. I mean, just they've been really impressive to me. Quinn Snyder's done an incredible job. And I think if you if you had said uh, not only are the uh, Jazz going to be without Gordon Hayward this year, but they're going to lose Rudy Gobert twice in the first two months and they're going to be, you know, in the mix in the playoff picture in the Western Conference, I think people would have said that was impossible. So, Full credit to full credit to them to the way they've uh, they've been able to bounce through bounce back from that and really persevere through a lot of tough situations so far this season. If you enjoyed this podcast and are interested in learning more about the NBA, you can get my weekly NBA newsletter, the Monday Morning Post Up, delivered right to your inbox every Monday morning at eight a.m. To do so please go to wapo.st slash newsletter to subscribe. You'll get an original column from me, links to my work from the past week, links to work from both my colleagues at the Washington Post and other writers from around the web about the league, a viewing guide for the week ahead, and some dining and pop culture recommendations. Again, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, please go to wapo.st slash newsletter and start your week off right with everything you need to know about the NBA. How much longer is the NBA willing to let the Grizzlies ownership situation play out? Could you see the league invoking a, quote, best interest of the league type argument to force a sale and subsequent potential relocation to Seattle? I got a lot of questions about the Grizzlies ownership situation, understandably so, because it's kind of a unique situation when you have, you know, two two owners potentially bidding against each other to see who's going to keep control of the team without getting down a rabbit hole and trying to explain a very complicated, uh, owner, you know, clause in the, in the ownership situation there. What I, what I would say is that there aren't a lot of details about it right now. I don't think anybody in the league really expects this to be played out, you know, anytime really in the next month or two. It seems like more of a, you know, maybe over the course of the entire season this will play out. Maybe we'll know in Mar- April or May. Um, I, I don't the, – the lease in Memphis is very strong. I don't see the Grizzlies getting moved for a few seasons. Uh, then there's also the fact that, uh, you know, I'm not convinced that the key arena agreement in Seattle – is going to be up to up to par with what the NBA is looking for, which could make getting a team back there in the short term difficult. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of barriers to the Grizzlies in particular moving to Seattle, which has kind of become the popular rumor in the wake of this sale stuff. Um, and my guess is that, I mean, it, it, people have asked too, like, do you think Robert Parra is going to end up with the team or not? I have no idea how the the, the particulars of the, the ownership uh, – you know the 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 bidding back and forth between uh, Steve Kaplan and, and Robert Parra is gonna gonna go in terms of who's gonna get the team. I don't think anybody in the league does either. Um, it's definitely a storyline that 
people are around the league are really curious about, you know, uh, you know, for obvious reasons with the potential impact of, you know, what happens with the new owner if, if Para, you know, does end up giving up control and where the team goes from there. I mean, there's a, there's a lot going on there, but uh, it's, it's just very early and it's, it's going to be something that's just going to have to be monitored for a while to see how it shakes out. What is the appeal of Alfred Payton on the Magic? Why is he still a starter? Do you think the Magic should have dealt Alfred Payton and not Victor Oladipo? Well, sure, because Victor Oladipo is a better player than Alfred Payton, and that was really never in doubt. But, uh, you know, the Magic at the time wanted Serge Ibaka, and Victor Oladipo could play next to Russell Westbrook, and Alfred Payton could not. So that, I doubt that was ever really on the table for them. Um, the, I mean, the appeal of Alfred Payton is that he's, a, he's, you know, he's more of a Rajon Rondo type of point guard. He's a good passer. He's a good defender. He can get some steals. Um, but he's, he still hasn't really proven to be a shooter. And until he does prove to be a shooter, it's going to be tough for him to really succeed in the league. Now he is sitting 30, 36% of his threes this year. Um, he's got a, a league average PER for what I'm guessing is the first time of his career. I actually had a decent one last year too. Um, so, I mean, I, I think he's made, he's made some marginal, uh, he's made some marginal improvements in his game. Uh, his shot percentage, his shooting percentage has gone up every year. Um, you know, he, he's still a guy that can, you know, get you a bunch of assists. I, I don't know if I'm sold on him as a, a starting point guard in the NBA down the road. Um, I think he needs to prove to me he's capable of, of doing a little more than he has so far. But, um, you know, he's he's a decent player. But, I mean, again, when I go back to before what I'm talking about, when I was talking about the the people freaking out about the, um, you know, tanking and the draft, you know, the draft lottery need to be changed and stuff. The, the Magic for five years were terrible and had a bunch of high picks and, you know, maybe Aaron Gordon is becoming a guy you can lean on as a as a, a cornerstone of a franchise. None of their other guys are like that. The Kings have been in in the lottery for a decade. They have nobody that's like that. Um, the uh, the the Timberwolves have been for over ten years, and they have nobody that's like that. So, you know, drafting the right guy is hard, and some years are just aren't good players. So, you know, all of that. I it just goes back to me to the point that I, I just didn't understand why there was a rush to do any of that stuff, and I. I think it's going to wind up having unintended consequences that people aren't sure of now, and, and we'll see what they are down the road. What do you think of the Disney-Fox merger, and uh, what do you think it will uh, do to impact future TV revenues and the cap? It's a fascinating merger from a, uh, you know, a journalism-slash-media industry standpoint. Uh, as far as the NBA, I don't really think it's going to impact anything in the short term. Um, you know, Basically, before you know, Fox owned most of the right, you know, about half the rights to to regional games around the league with individual teams. And the other half was owned by Comcast. Now it's Disney and, uh, and Fox instead, or Disney and Comcast instead. The real game changer here might've been if Comcast had bought uh, Fox, these Fox regional affiliates, which is what was being discussed for a while. And if Comcast had owned, you know, say all of the, you know, local TV rights for the NBA, that could have been, you know, made, made NBC slash Comcast a very interesting player here going forward. But the fact that it looks like that deal is done and that, you know, Disney is getting those instead, I think it's just kind of a status quo and I, it shouldn't really do much to change the cap either. Where do you see Julius Randle ending up? I can see Julius Randle ending up back with the Lakers on a qualifying offer. I don't know what his market is going to be this summer. He's kind he's, he's shown some flashes this year. I think he's a nice player. I don't know if he's a guy that somebody's going to spend big on this summer as a restricted free agent. Um you know, he's got an intriguing skill set that I think teams are going to going to be interested in trying to get. But, um, you know, if the Lakers decide to roll their cap room over, I could see them offering the qualifying offer, having Julius accept it, and then just having Julius on the team for uh, another year at a cheat number. So to me, I think that's uh, I think that's that's a, a likely scenario, and maybe at this point the most likely one. 
two questions. Who's the best rookie on the Lakers and the best rookie in each conference today? Um, and look, the best rookie on the Lakers through the first two months of the season has been Kyle Kuzma. I still think Lonzo Ball is going to be very good, but Kuzma has been, you know, one of the biggest surprises in the whole league. So um, I think you've got to say that that right now he is the guy that you look at and go, this guy has been, uh, this guy has been tremendous. Um, you know, so I, I would say, I would say right now it's him. Best rookie in each conference. Ben Simmons has been the best rookie period in the league so far this year. Um, and Donovan Mitchell has been great for the for the Jazz. I mean, I, I think you know, for as good as you know, guys like Jason Tatum and Kuzma and some of these other guys have been. Uh, you know, Mitchell's been incredible for the Jazz. And so I, I would say that, you know, if you're, if you're picking the best one in each conference so far, I think those are two pretty easy picks. What's the ceiling for Jason Tatum and who is most likely to be a superstar of the 2017 draft class? I mean, I, I think Jason Tatum is a, is a guy who, you know, could be a, you know, a, a really good offensive player, good isolation player who could shoot the ball, who is not going to kill you on defense. So, you know, maybe uh, I don't, I'm trying to think, of like small forwards like that. I mean, maybe a guy like Bradley Beal, um, maybe a guy like uh, uh, DeMar DeRozan with a jumper um, and a little better defense. So I, I don't know. I mean, Bradley Beal's probably the right kind of player, I guess, even though he's a little smaller. Um, that level player, I think a guy who can be an all-star and, um, you know, maybe not a consistent all-star, but a guy who's a, you know, a really good, um, a really, really good player, switchable on defense, you know, versatile, um, you know, so yeah, I mean, he's a really good player. He's been a great fit for them. I'm ironically, and probably people are going to think this is crazy. I'm still going with Markel Fultz as the guy who's most likely to be a superstar from this draft class. I think, you know, and the next question I have is, is Markel Fultz dead? No, he's not dead. He's coming back from the shoulder thing. And look, I, I know the shoulder thing has been weird and people have a lot of questions about it, but I think once he gets healthy and is right, I think he's going to be fine. I've seen that guy too many times in person. I think he's a flat out stud. Um, I think he's going to get over this shooting stuff and I think he's going to be a really terrific player. And, you know, I think it's going to work out really nicely for the Sixers in the long run, even though right now it doesn't look great. And, and Tatum has by far been the, uh, the better player thus far since, you know, Fultz has either not been able to shoot or not played so far. Uh, will Ben Simmons ever take a jump shot? And with this in concert with what is the bigger liability in seven game series, Carl Anthony Towns defense or Ben Simmons jumper. I would say Ben Simmons' jumper, uh, to answer the second question first, uh, because we've seen Carl Towns can play good defense and just doesn't very often, whereas Ben Simmons has not shown he can shoot. Uh, and I, I think under the right, you know, with the right motivation and with the, in the right circumstances, I expect Towns to play better on defense, even though it's been disappointing that he struggled on there at that end of the floor. There'll be more on that in a minute. Uh, the Simmons jumper thing is a real issue. He's barely shot the ball at all outside of the paint so far this season. I think that's a real problem. I think it's something that needs to change in the future if he's going to become a real superstar because he isn't, you know, for as physically gifted as he is, he's not, say, Giannis Antetokounmpo and big enough to just overpower everybody. Um, and I think you've seen teams really start to drop off of Simmons and it's impacted him a little bit. So, uh, you know, that that jump shot and what happens with it is something I'm really fascinated by and curious to see uh, where things go from here. Is the bloom off the cat rose for all we've heard about him over the last year or so? It's clear Embiid is much better. How does Cat rank as a player and prospect in your eyes as opposed to last year? Um, yeah, Joel Embiid is a better prospect. I think Chris Esperingas has passed him too. I think the defense thing with me has really been disappointing with Carl Towns. I've been as high on him as anybody uh, in the media, and his defense is just really disappointing. He should be an elite defensive player. He has all the tools to do it. I've seen him do it before. I've seen him switching out uh, onto Steph Curry and, and picking rolls and, and destroying Draymond Green as a rookie uh, at both ends of the court in, in a game that Minnesota won at Oracle and was incredible. Um, and he just hasn't 
replicated that on a consistent basis. And it's been surprising and it's been disappointing. Um, and I, I'm, I'm very curious to see where that goes from here. But, I mean, Towns has the ability to be, if you know, maybe the best player in the league if everything works out right. Um, you know, and, and that's because he has the ability to be an elite two-way player like Joel Embiid has been and like, at times, Chris Tasporzingis has shown he can be with his shot-blocking ability. And, um, you know, we just need to see that more often from Towns. And, and hopefully he does because I think he's a wonderful player and he's got a chance to be, you know, a, 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 you know, a really – truly great player if he can um if he can if he can do that and show it on a consistent basis so uh that that's that's a subplot both for the rest of this year and in the next year or two that i'm going to really interested to watch because that's going to determine just how high his ceiling actually is will the Cavs make a big trade this season maybe for paul george something smaller like moving on from amon shumpert or stan pat with what they've got i wouldn't be surprised if the Cavs made a smaller move in particular if they move on from their own first round pick to try to bolster their roster somehow um, I don't see them trading the uh, the Brooklyn Nets pick. I don't see them making a move for a guy like Paul George. I, I think they'll just probably take around the edges and hope that what they have as is enough. I, I think it's tough for them to make a big trade like that, and uh, I just it's hard for me to see the right move come up that they're going to go. Yeah, this makes sense for us to do it. So, um, but my guess is you know largely Sam Pat, but maybe move on from a guy like Shumpert for for another piece. You know, with a pick to potentially you know lessen their tax load a little bit and and maybe improve for the playoffs. What aspects of the Rockets game do you think need to improve before you can comfortably say they can realistically beat Golden State in a series? I think they have the best chance to beat Golden State of any team in the league now. Uh, so if they can add something, that'd be great. Um, I, I don't really know if they have the flexibility to do something like that. They're kind of they're kind of stuck with the roster they have, but it's, I mean, stuck is the wrong word. They kind of they kind of are what they are outside of maybe some buyout options. I, I think that's the more likely route. But I love this Rockets team. I think they're great. They're fun to watch. Uh, James Harden and Chris Paul mesh perfectly. You know, we're going to have to wait and see how they look in the playoffs because that's when this is really going to matter. But, you know, I think Houston's going to have the best record in the in the league at the end of the season. And, you know, at that point, you know, if, if you're going to have a real chance to, to you know, if you have Houston, that'll be the first time that Golden State will be playing without home court advantage. Um, and Houston's got the ability to hit 25 or 33s a game. And if they do that, things are going to be interesting. So um, I, I think if, if we don't leave this season having seen Golden State and Houston play in a playoff series, I think that'd be really disappointing, and it would be uh, it, it would it would really take away what I from what I think could be a, an all time great series featuring you know some all time great players and guys like uh, and guys like uh, you know James Harden and Chris Paul and Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. I mean, there's a lot of juicy storylines there that I think would be uh, very fun to check out. Do you think the Warriors will stay motivated and engaged the rest of the season, or will they lapse back into their detached mode? I would say more likely than not. Uh, the Warriors will will lapse back into being detached at some point. You have to remember, right now they're playing without uh, you know without Steph Curry. They're playing with Draymond Green being banged up. Um, it's uh, it, it's it, it's a situation where they need to be locked in to be winning games, and so now they're locked in, right? If they all of a sudden don't need that anymore, Steph comes back, Draymond comes back, they're healthy again, then they're probably going to go back up and down, you know, because that's just kind of the way. Um, that's kind of the way they've been and the way they, they frankly can be because they have so much talent that they, and they know they can win anywhere that just have to get to the playoffs and they'll be fine. And, you know, they're kind of, they've kind of shifted into what the heat were under LeBron James the last couple of years he was there where, and even the Cavs the last couple of years where they don't care if they have home court advantage in the playoffs because they are the best team in their conference and they know it. And for the Warriors, it's the league and they can, they can just get to the finals. So, uh, to me, that's, that's the way you have to focus on it is that, yeah, 
the, you know, right now the Warriors are locked in, but it's because they have to be. And, and when that changes and they don't have to be again, they're probably going to, you know, go back and forth between being locked in for certain opponents or certain games, depending on the storyline going into it or something they want to prove. Um, and kind of vacillating between that and, and not really having a lot of interest in, you know, pulling out games late because they can kind of coast to a victory. Will Kevin Durant win Defensive Player of the Year? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I think you'd, we'll have to wait and see in terms of who winds up getting that award. I, I don't think it's impossible, but, you know, to me, I think Al Horford for now is probably the leader for that award uh, because of how well the, uh, the the Celtics have played defensively thus far. I think he's probably going to have a good shot at getting it. Um, but, but it's kind of a weird race this year, and maybe Durant – you know, we'll be able to get it. Golden State's up to second in the league in defense. They'll probably be first soon. Um, you know, so I, I think, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if at some point they get it, but it's going to, uh, you know, I think it's going to take some work for him to convince people to vote for him for that award, even though he has been terrific defensively and, you know, his shot blocking has been a huge part of what Golden State's been doing at that end. I'm curious about what the front office uh, works on this time of year, considering the team looks set, uh, meaning Golden State in particular. Our, our, Bob Myers and his team focused on scouting and convos with other teams, planning off-season targets. I would say that it's it's not correct to say that uh, the team seems set. Not that Golden State needs to add anybody, but um, I don't think any team ever is thinking, "Yeah, we don't we can't make any additions or we can't make any moves." Um, I think every team is always looking to to do something. Uh, Golden State, in particular, could be losing a looking to shed its tax bill a little bit. Maybe you move on from a guy like Kevon Looney and save you know five or six or eight million dollars in a trade. Um, so I think just in general, though, to answer your question, what are teams doing right now? Um, you know, team now that's after December fifteenth, teams are really starting to talk about trades. Now that just about everybody in the league can get moved, except for a few stragglers that can't till January fifteenth. Um, teams are scouting all over the country, uh, looking at college players, looking at international players, starting to prepare for the draft. Teams are putting together their boards for who's going to be on the on the on the block in February at the trade deadline. Uh, they are preparing for next summer. I mean, NBA teams are always planning not just for now but for the next six months and the next two or three years all at the same time so there's a lot of stuff happening for people to try to keep track of and just because it looks like your team is set now doesn't mean it's not in the future remember the Warriors for well before when they actually signed Kevin Durant were planning for signing him and if they hadn't been they wouldn't have been positioned to make the moves necessary to get the cap space to do it so um you got there's there's a long game being played here that that fans you know that are prisoners of the moment might not appreciate but that all these front offices get paid you know, big money because that's what they're spending their time doing. Why wouldn't Steve Kerr start Jordan Bell against the Rockets in a series of Azaza Pachulia other than Kerr's loyalty to veterans? Uh, this is this is kind of an ongoing thing that's ridiculous to me. Uh, Steve Kerr is, you know, either the best or second best coach in the league, depending on how you think about Greg Popovich. Uh, he plays everybody to keep them all engaged. Uh, he's done a, you know, fabulous job with the Warriors. And uh, look, you could say that, uh, you could say that Zaza Pachulia um, shouldn't be starting, but the Warriors went 16 to one in the playoffs last year. Was Azza Pachulia starting? I think it's going to take uh, a pretty significant uh, departure from that kind of record, or the Warriors are really going to have to put themselves in a bind before Steve's going to consider changing that. And frankly, I can't blame them because they've been that much better than everybody else. Have you seen any impact with the team with the timeouts being limited at the end of games? Can you see an unfair disadvantage for coaches who are good at drawing up plays? I love it. I think it's great. I think you've definitely seen a difference. You've seen teams. Uh, saving timeouts in the last 20 seconds or so. So we have two, two and a half minutes of, 
you know, very little stoppage uh, time in terms of, you know, coaches stopping and drawing up a play and stopping and drawing up a play and stopping and drawing up a play. I think it's been fantastic for the sport. I think it's been fantastic for, um, you know, for just the quality of play at the end of games and the excitement and drama at the end of games. It's why the league took away a timeout at the end of, uh, at, at the end of the fourth quarter for each team. I think it's been a terrific, uh, a terrific, a terrific development for the league. And I, I'm really happy they did it. I think, you know, as the season goes on and people get more and more used to it, I, I think it's just going to lead to a lot more really exciting and compelling finishes. And, and I, I think that's exactly what you want if you're a sports fan is to see, you know, riveting high-end drama, you know, playing out, you know, without any, you know, ha- the need to stop and set up every single play. These guys are the best players in the world for a reason. Let them go out there and do their jobs. What's the realistic chances of the Nets re-signing Julio for at the end of the year? The Nets can only offer him $6.3 million for a year, I believe. That is true. I think there's a decent chance that they re-sign him. Um, you know, Okafer wanted to come to the Nets, wanted to have, be at a place where he could develop and get some playing time. He's going to have that with the Nets. Um, I, I think he'll be I think he'll be happy to stay there. I also don't necessarily think his market is going to be huge, given the fact that uh, he has struggled at the last, you know, with through an injury in, in, uh, on the court and, he isn't at a position of, of need for most teams. Everybody has centers now. Uh, not very few teams are looking for a guy with his skill set now. It's just kind of the way with where the league has gone. So I, I think if it works out with the Nets, I, I would not be at all surprised if he stays there. Um, you know, and I also think the Nets were probably most excited to get a second round pick in that trade as opposed to getting Okafor, despite the fact he's the big shiny name in the trade. So I, I think when you're examining that move, I think you have to look at it through that lens too. That uh, you know, despite the fact that he is the thing everybody focused on, I think that second round pick they got, even though it wasn't a great pick, was the, the main reason to make the trade. So if they wanted Oakford, they could have made this trade two months ago. Could have done Trevor Booker for Jill Oakford in September. But they they did it now because they also got a second round pick to take on Nick Stauskas. And I think that's the that's the thing you have to focus on. All right. I think that's going to wrap it up. Ran through a ton of questions here. Really appreciate everybody taking the time to, to send them off to me. We'll try to do this on a semi-regular basis, because I like to try to run through people's questions, see what they have, what they want to know about around the league. So uh, thank you to all of you who did so. You can find me on Twitter to send those questions and find my stories and everything else at Tim Montemps. You can find me on Facebook at Tim Montemps NBA. You can find me in the pages of the Washington Post on our website at washingtonpost.com sports. Please go give Glenn Yoder in the Western States uh, some love. Glenn is the NBA editor of the Post. He's also uh, the front man of the band, the Western States. Uh, whose theme music is, or whose music is the theme music for the podcast, and people have really loved it. So go find the music online and support them. Please go give the five, the podcast a five star rating and review wherever you can find it. Um, it's it's very much appreciated. It helps us out a lot, gets us better ratings. So please go, please go do that as well. Go check out some of the other podcasts that we have at the post. Uh, Letters from War is a new one that's terrific. Um, can he do that about uh, the presidency of President Trump? Constitutional is Lily Cunningham's follow-up to presidential. Um, there, there's just a bunch of stuff we've got that's good. Uh, the fantasy football beat is also a good one. Um, if for, for those of you looking for some you know, last-second edges in your, your playoffs for, the, for fantasy football, those guys are fun to check out. Um, thanks again to listening. We're going to be back a couple more times this week, hopefully. Uh, you know, this is, like I said earlier, this is recorded Sunday afternoon, Monday morning. I'm flying to Los Angeles. I'll be there for Kobe's Jersey retirement. Going to try to do something about that. Uh, a couple interesting teams coming back to Oakland this week, uh, where I'll finally be back later this week. A lot of stuff happening around the NBA, all leading up to what should be a riveting Christmas day schedule next week. Um, you know, highlighted of course, by the Cavs and Warriors meeting for the first time since the NBA finals. So a lot of fun stuff going on around the NBA. Should be fun to follow it and hope to have you back here soon. So thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you all again soon.